Uni Church. One more sleep to Unicorn, who's pumped for that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for it as well. See you there tomorrow at 10 a.m. But before that, we've got a great night ahead of us as we gather around God's Word and be encouraged by what He has spoken to us, right? So I'm going to begin at a very familiar place in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. In verse 13, it says, I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing, honor, and glory, and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Friends, we are made to worship, and God is worthy of our worship. So let's stand and sing to Him.
Last week we saw in God's Word that Jesus' death and resurrection haven't just saved us from punishment, but actually brought us to new life now. Let's keep singing and praising our King for the new life He's given us. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory.
Son, to save us from our sins, to save us from our sorrows. And in His name, we know when we cling to Him, when we put our faith in Him, we ourselves are made beloveds to You. We are now Your beloved children. And Lord, we have so much to hope in, so much to um, rejoice in. Uh, Father, we thank You for the resurrection hope we have of one day seeing You face to face in our resurrected bodies. Even today, we know Christ is risen, and we are risen with Him. We are seated at the right hand of God, and for that, we give thanks. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please take a seat, everyone. Well, hello and welcome. My name's Michael, if we haven't met yet. And if you are visiting here, uh, visiting Uni Church for the first time today, uh, warmest greetings to you. They've come at a great time. We're actually at the end of our series in Matthew. So last 10 weeks, 10 or so weeks, we've been uh, tracking along in the book of Matthew, looking at how this author, Matthew, who's one of the original disciples of Jesus, how he uh, paints this beautiful portrait of Jesus. And we're, we're starting to see more and more clearly who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And today we're actually at a very, uh, at a very climactic point in Goth, uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 16, where we're going to um, yeah, see who Jesus really is. Can't, look, uh, can't wait for that. But before we get there, I just want to let you know that today after this uh, sermon, we're going to actually have an open mic time because it is the, our tradition that every time we end a series, we want to hear how God's Word has impacted your life. We want to know, for example, if you've seen Jesus in a new light through the series. Or we want to know if God has worked in your heart to go, I, I need to change something about my life. So love to hear that. Love to see how God's words encouraged you. Um, I can't wait to hear that, and I know the rest of the church can't wait to hear that as well, so don't hold that back. So when you get a chance, grab the mic um, and encourage us. Well, I have one highlight to 
let you know about um, in the life of church, and that's actually for all the guys here. Um, and it's recharge is happening again. That's just in a month's time. So a couple of people were excited for that. So that's the couple of people who probably came last time, but we want all the guys of Uni Church coming to this this time, okay? So it's 22nd of July. This is our second ever recharge. At our first recharge, we were at the North Building and we did some demolition work, but most importantly, we bonded together and we got together and we looked into what it means to be, uh, a, what it means to be a godly man. And we then laid the foundations uh, for us on uh, what we're going to look at throughout this year, which is biblical manhood. And in this next recharge event, we're going to be looking at practically what does it look like, to, how these principles play out in our relationships. So we're going to be looking at the diverse relationships men get in, uh, get in all their lives. So whether that's in family, uh, with husbands and wives, with children, uh, with brothers and sisters, or with friends and colleagues. So we're going to be looking at how practically God speaks into these relationships. So that's going to be a great time. Um, Last time, if you were here uh, at Recharge, you remembered we had breakfast. This time we won't have breakfast, but we will have lunch together. And after lunch, we're also going to uh, keep hanging out and actually play mini golf together. Uh, we're going to get some friendly competition going. So that's going to be great. Um, so the ticket price for the lunch and the mini golf is $20. So I want to encourage you to, yeah, put it in your diary. So 22nd of July, and that's going to be at the central building. Uh, and yeah, register and get your ticket on at home.aucklandev.co.nz. That's all from me. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Hannah to lead us in prayer. Hey church, my name is Hannah. Join me as we pray to our great God. Heavenly Father, we come before you, recognizing that this entire world belongs to you. You are the creator and sustainer of all things, and everything in this world, including our lives, find its true meaning and purpose through your word alone. So open our eyes, we pray, to see the world as you see it. As we live in a world filled with diverse ideologies and conflicting worldviews, guard us against the temptation to conform to the standards and values of this world whether it's through our grades, our job title, or how good of a friend we are, help us to recognize that without you, when we rely on our own understanding and navigate life our own way, we stumble and fall. Remind us that our human efforts are limited and any worldly pursuit and achievements are in vain. Keep us firmly rooted in the truth of your word, placing our hope in Jesus and on what truly matters. Father, we lift up students among us who are going back to their homes outside of Auckland. May this be a time of rest and recovery. Will they be able to reconnect with their families and loved ones? Lord, we lift up those students who have ongoing university projects to complete during this break. Grant them focus and wisdom as they work on their assignments, managing their time effectively and finding a balance between rest and productivity. We also pray for Uni Church Conference this coming week. Would this be a great time of encouragement, uh, growth and deepening of our relationship with you? We ask that you would speak through Charles with clarity and conviction as your word and spirit work powerfully in the lives of those um, who come. And we are excited for this time of fellowship. Um, may the relationship formed during this time uh, be grounded in love, unity, um, and a strong sense of community that extends beyond the confines of the conference. May your will be done in every session, conversation, and interaction 
and may your name be glorified during this conference. And Father, as we conclude our series on Matthew, we eagerly look forward to the fulfillment of your kingdom. Help us to fix our eyes on the eternal hope we have in Jesus. Strengthen our faith as we anticipate his glorious return. May this anticipation motivate us to live lives and that are holy and purposeful, boldly claiming, proclaiming your good news to those around us. We commit ourselves to live lives that honor you and glorify you. Uh, we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now Julius is going to read the Bible for us. Good evening, church. My name is Julius, and tonight we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, please raise your hand and someone in the red shirts will lend you one. And if you don't own one at home, please keep that as a gift from us. Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the sign of the times. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. The disciples reached the other shore, and they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus told them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were discussing among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. Aware of this, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you've collected? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, and how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand that when I told you, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it wasn't about bread? Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the leaven and bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, 
This will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thanks, Julius. Well, good evening. Welcome to Uni Church. I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Rowan. Um, so great to come along as we hit what is really super high point in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we get to think clearly about who Jesus is. But most importantly, we get to think about the implications of that for the way that we live, and they're huge. So why don't we pray? Why don't you join with me as we pray and ask God to help us to understand His Word, and more than that, that He might change our hearts. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come here tonight with all sorts of things going on in our world. Things of great excitement, things of great loss, things that are taking up the radar of our concentration. But we pray as we come to your word tonight, as we've just heard it read, that by your spirit you would focus us on the incredible significance of what you are saying to us, and that you might grow us so that we might be people who are changed and, and, and live for you and your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Risk is something that all of us have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. We all, we all take risks. Do I get on the bus or not? Do I trust the bus driver or not? Will I put my life in the hands of that bus driver or this relationship in the hands of, of this person? Uh, we take risks every day. We, we face decisions where we've got to make choices where the results could be fantastic or a complete failure. <laughs> From the moment we step into the world, we, we take risks pursuing our dreams, we take risks forming connections with others and embracing new experiences. And, and the question for every single one of us as we make these decisions is this, is the risk worth it? Is the risk worth it? It could be the risk of taking an opportunity, or it might be the risk of not taking an opportunity. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Inactivity can be just as risky as doing something. Well, in this part of God's Word in Matthew 16, we come face to face with the question, is the risk of following Jesus worth it? Is the risk of following Jesus worth it? Matthew 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees approached Jesus and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, you can understand these religious leaders, they've been hearing about the teaching of Jesus, they've been hearing about the miracles and the amazing things that have been going on. And if this Jesus really is who they say he is, they want some proof before they risk it all and kind of back him. So you can understand why they're asking for a sign, can't you? I mean, so often I think that we think, if only God stepped into our world in a bigger way, if only He sent me a sign, I just have so much more faith, I just follow Him more. If only He kind of 
came out and was like, boom, there you go. And, and, and everyone saw and be like, whoa, this would be amazing. But listen to how Jesus replies to these Pharisees in verse 2. When evening comes, you say, it'll be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. What Jesus is saying is this generation can read the signs of what the weather will be on the next day. They can work those things out, but they can't work out the pointers that have been pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. Past 16 chapters of the book of Matthew have been showing us Jesus' authority, Him working on water, Him healing the sick, Him doing all sorts of stuff, pointing to who He is and what He's come to do. But these Pharisees, they want more. See, belief in Jesus is relational because trust is relational. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, you're in a relationship with someone, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, it is, whatever that is, and, and you, just, you just want more evidence that they actually love you. So what you do is you go, look, I, just, I really want to know they love me. I, I want a sign. So you call them up, look, I want a sign that you love me. Now, maybe that's you know, code for send me some cool gifts, you know, um, send some little gift, gift kind of cards in the mail or something that would like, show them my favorite shop. That's a sign that you love me, but, but is it? But then you go, no, I really want to know if they love me. So what I'm going to do is I want to, I'll put a private investigator on them. I'll put a private investigator on them for like a month and they can follow them around and look for the signs that they really do love me. And my hunch is if you're doing that, there are a few problems going on in your relationship, right? Because who does that? I mean, it shows you that even if the private investigator found nothing, you're probably going to go, oh, that's not enough. I need another private investigator. I need a better one. That one wasn't good enough. Because there's some sense of doubt that's already there. As long as you keep an attitude of distrust with relationships, you'll never hear what the person has to say, and you'll, you'll form your own opinion of what is going on. And these Pharisees and Sadducees, they approach Jesus with an attitude of distrust. They don't want to listen to what he's been saying. They don't they want to hear what's going on in the parables he's been explaining. They just want to catch him out. They just want to show that he is not who he claims to be. And they, they're the bomb. They're the best. We want nothing to do with Jesus. So the request for a sign is a sign of disbelief. The request for a sign is a sign of disbelief. As we find ourselves in times of doubt as Christians, and we will, There'll be times where like, is, is this real? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Jesus is saying here, don't ask for a sign. Don't, don't use the excuse that God hadn't made himself clear enough. Listen to who Jesus says he is. Look at the evidence of, of human history and what has gone on. And come listening to his word. See, relationships aren't based on signs or miracles. They're based on hearing one another. They're based on words and evidence themselves in action. If you're not willing to listen, then all the actions in the world are useless. So here's where we see the warning of this passage and the danger of disbelief. Jesus warns them in verse 6, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, that's the question that's going on for the disciples at this moment. They're kind of like, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why is, 
Jesus is talking about bread again. I mean, I love bread. I don't know about you, particularly that white bread that's been freshly done in a bread maker when it's kind of crusty around the outside and really spongy and you get some butter and put it on and it's warm and you eat it, you're like, oh, so good. The bloat that comes after sometimes isn't the best, but you know, but that bread is just so warm and good. And every time we come across like leaven that makes the bread rise and fluffy, Jesus is all negative about it. It's only one point in the whole Gospels, in the whole Bible that leaven's positive. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in Matthew's Gospel. But he's always so down on, on this thing that makes bread rise. Well, what's his point here? Well, he's saying that a small amount of disbelief can cause you to miss the entire point. The disciples, sorry, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't trust Jesus, they're not coming with an attitude to listen, and it can cause them to miss out on, on who Jesus is, and perhaps that's what's going on for the disciples as well. The warning here is to be careful to take Jesus at His word. Be careful. But the disciples, they, they don't get it. They're sitting there going, he's, he's, he's again talking about bread. Why is he talking about bread again? I mean, they'd just seen the feeding of the 5,000 was a small amount of food and it fed 5,000 men. So probably like 12,000, 15,000 people. A lot, right? With such a small amount. And then there was the feeding of the 4,000. And again, bread was there. It made its debut again. Lots of people were fed and there was basketfuls left over. And here they are with Jesus after seeing these two kind of massive miracles go on. And what are they worried about? They start talking about if they've got enough bread with them. Maybe Jesus wants us to make sure we've got enough bread. We should get some bread for wherever we're going. And you're like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, are you so dumb that you've just missed what's just happened? This is one of the things that I love about God's Word. See, the people that here are thinking about maybe we should have got some bread, well, one of them would have been Matthew. And Matthew actually records his own stupidity. Like, just think about it. If, if you were writing a gospel about the life of Jesus, and you got to the bit where you're recording that you got something totally wrong, would you put it in? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, let's just leave that little bit out. That's not that important, is it? But they include their stupidity. They include that they didn't get it at this point. He could have made himself look awesome and been like, yeah, he was Jesus' right-hand man. He was kind of giving him tips on how to write the Sermon on the Mount and all these kind of things. But no, they actually record how stupid they are. That makes me go, you know what? There's some legitimacy about the Word of God here. It doesn't hide the kind of bumpy paths. While the disciples are anxious about a lack of bread, Jesus is anxious about their lack of faith. Look at verse 8. Aware of this, Jesus said, You of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Don't you understand it? Don't you remember the five loaves or the 5,000, how many basketfuls you collected? They're like, oh yeah. <laughs> or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets you collected? Why is it that you don't understand when I told you, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that it wasn't about the bread? <laughs> You've got to feel for Jesus here, right? <laughs> like, what is with you guys? Then they understood that you had not told them to beware of the leaven in bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the disciples are totally unaware that they are affected by the same deadly cancer as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They still don't quite get who Jesus is. They've been there. They've seen the signs. They've seen the miracles. If that isn't enough evidence that miracles don't guarantee belief, nothing will be. I mean, 
you think, oh, I'd love a sign to convince me that Jesus is who He says He is, right? Well, how's the feeding of 5,000? Then another 4,000, you reckon that'd be enough? I'd be like, yep, I'd be in, but they weren't. After all they'd seen and after all the time they'd been with Jesus, they still miss who He is. They'd been up, and, up close and personal with Him. Here's the thing. Proximity to God's people, being one of the crew, doesn't mean in and of itself that we're listening to Jesus. See, proximity must grow understanding and understanding must grow to faith, to dependence on Him. There was once a man that did come face to face with God. He was a devoted and trusted friend, well-respected amongst his peers, eager for the cause of God's kingdom. He spent so much of his time listening to Jesus' words, but he never really understood. He thought proximity to God's people made him one of God's people. But in the end, his proximity just inoculated him to the meaning of Jesus' life. The man looked like a follower of Jesus, but in the end, he was living for himself. His name was Judas, and it did not end well for him. Friends, just because we hang with Jesus' people doesn't mean we are one of Jesus' people. Don't make that mistake. Being one of Jesus' people requires us to, to listen to Him, to accept Him for who He is, and for that to change the way that we live, to trust Him for who He says He is. In verse 13, we read this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, He asked them, Who do you say that I am? The question that eternity hinges on is the question that Jesus asks His closest friends at this moment. Who do you say I am? We heard a few weeks ago that King Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. So there's some rumors, maybe, maybe Jesus is Johnny B, come back, right? Others think he's, he's an Old Testament prophet. Uh, Mal- Malachi said, said a, a, an Elijah figure would come um, uh, as a forerunner to God's judgment that's coming. Ha- have a look with me, uh, Malachi 4, verse 5. God says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So they're thinking, is this, this is the Elijah figure who's come to judge the world that God's prophet is coming. Or Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. They're going, maybe it's one of those people. That's kind of what's, what's going on here. But Jesus isn't interested in what others think. He's interested in asking those he's speaking to. In fact, as Matthew records this down, he's interested in asking you and me here tonight, who do you think Jesus is? Peter pipes up, as he always does, and he answers in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Here it is, it's the the high point of Matthew's gospel. Here is Jesus' real identity, come out. Now the word Messiah literally means anointed one. Kings were anointed to be the king and they were anointed with oil. 
I don't know if you watched um, Prince Charles' coronation, uh, but there's the section when they put up the big black walls around him and they're kind of like, no one can see in. And they went in with the oil and anointed him as king. That's what they were doing. He got anointed with oil. That's what happens at coronations to say, this is the king. This is the one that will lead us. And the scriptures say and point out that God's promised king is coming. The greatest hits of, of Jews in, the, in their best kind of songs we read about in Psalms, and track number two in Psalms says this, Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and then His anointed one, His Messiah, saying that the nations are against God's promised King. But look what happens, verse 4. The enthroned one in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. And He speaks to them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath. I have installed my King on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree, He said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Here comes a King who will rule the universe. The nations are His inheritance. The ends of the earth are His possession. He is the King over all and He is called the Anointed One and He's the one that God will send in. And God laughs at the other pretend kings who are pretending to run the world. What's incredible is that Peter is saying that Jesus is that King. He's the Anointed One. The promised King. The King to end all kings. The King who's going to put all things right Peter has picked the king and he said, you are the king. He's he's confessed the reality of who Jesus is, but he doesn't get what Jesus' kingship looks like. He has his own view of who Jesus is and, and how Jesus should rule. Like so many of us, he tries to fit Jesus and his kingship into what we think would be right. Look at verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem Suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. See, Jesus is a different type of king. Never before this moment had anyone in all of Israel connected the idea of this suffering servant that Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 43, 44, 53, that, that one would come and, and take the sins on as the people and suffer in our place. No one had connected that figure with a figure of the promised king, the Messiah who would come and rule and put an end to evil. But here Jesus brings those two ideas that the coming king that he is, is the one who would come and die and suffer. And that makes no sense at all to Peter, no sense at all to the first century world at all. In fact, Historians and archaeologists have found some first century graffiti. I should have brought the picture. It's a picture of, of a donkey on a cross. And it's, it's, it's this little cross there with a donkey's head. And, and then the words in Greek underneath it, this graffiti they've found says, Alexamenos worships his God. In other words, what an idiot. That you would worship a crucified king? What sort of king is that? The world scoffs at that reality to say, this is a stupid idea. How could this king defeat evil by suffering and dying? It seems ridiculous. It's, it's impossible. But Jesus is crystal clear. He, before it even happens, he states, it is necessary to suffer and be killed. It's not as if he's just predicting his future, going, hey, I know what's going to happen. 
some sort of fate that, that he can't control. No, he said, this is my purpose. My purpose is to come and to die and to rise again. The king of the universe, the one who, who spoke and stars came in, into, into space, who all things were created for and by and through, has now stepped into the earth and is going to die for the purpose of dying. But Peter, Peter's like, I, I can't believe this. You are the promised king. And from his mother's knee, he's been taught that when the Christ came, he would defeat evil and all the injustices would be put away because the king would ascend to his throne and rule. Jesus is saying, I am the Christ. I am the king. But I've come to solve the biggest problem which requires me to die. See, Jesus didn't come to take power, but to lose it. He didn't come to rule, but to serve. And that's how he's going to put everything right. That is how he's going to defeat evil. Can you imagine Peter being there at that moment? Kind of putting his arm around Jesus and going, Jesus, let me just, let me just point out a few things. Look, I know you're the promised king. I know you're God's Messiah. But I just, I just want to help you, but you're not going to really die. That's a really dumb idea. You're like, Peter, you're an idiot. Stop it. Shut up. But he does it anyway, and he keeps going. But he doesn't recognize the predicament he is in. And that's the same predicament you, are, you and I are in. A predicament where if we were to come before God as judge, we'd all be found guilty. Because all of us have turned our backs on God. We've all said to God, look, no offense, but I, I don't want to live your way all the time. I like being the little king of my life. I love kind of living life my way. But the reality is death comes to all of us because we reject the life-giving God. We reject the God who's given us life. And, and so when we live our lives our own way, death is the only outcome. And the only way to solve the problem of, of us deserving death is, to, is for someone to die in our place and take the punishment that we deserve so God can remain just and, and we can be forgiven. And that's what Jesus is saying He needs to do. He came as a substitute to die in our place, to face what we rightly deserve so we could have what He rightly deserves. Have you ever heard of a king like that? A ruler that would do that for their people? Well, their people wanted nothing to do with them at all. Peter just can't handle it. It's too much. He doesn't quite get it at this point. But then Jesus corrects him so he can see the reality of what he's doing. Look at verse 23. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. The one who only moments ago was so close in his view of Jesus is all of a sudden so far away. He's so close, but he just couldn't accept who Jesus says he was. He wanted to fit him into his own ideas. And the temptation for us to fit Jesus into our own ideas, to domesticate him or to tone him down a little or, or, or to kind of think, oh, look, I like to think of Jesus more like this. And I know he says these things, but I think he's a little bit like that. And we try and make him look better. What Jesus is saying is that desire to shape Jesus into our imaginations of him is satanic. Do you remember back in, in Matthew 4, Jesus has been tested by Satan in the wilderness just after his baptism? Here's what he says, Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, 
I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you see what Satan was offering Jesus? He's saying, all this could be yours, but the realm that I'm ruling now, I'll give it all to you right now. I'm sure Jesus is going, man, imagine not having to die for the sins of the world. Imagine Satan bowing down now and actually giving it to me now. Maybe I can see my Father glorified in, a, in another way than the plan of God or than, than the Word of God. Without having to go through death and suffering, maybe I can be experiencing the glory without the grit. And that's exactly what Peter is trying to do with Jesus. You don't need to die. Let's just blast on off into the stratosphere and be like, everyone will glorify you. But he's again missed the problem. It's not a unique problem to Peter either. So often that's what so many of us do when we view Jesus as someone who will help us have a better life. We can add him into our life and help us to be more, more healthy or more wealthy or he can kind of help us through life's hard points. And, and, you know, when we think about Jesus as someone who can give us 10 steps to being a better father or mother or brother or, or a student, when we say, look, Jesus is just such a great moral teacher, or we have this view of him that he's, he's a genie in a bottle, that if, if we do enough good things for him, then he'll bless us and we'll have a blessed life. And so he's kind of like some, you know, spiritual vending machine. Or some insurance policy view of Jesus, where we go, look, I'm going to live my life now, and then on the last day I'll come to Him, and, and maybe then He'll forgive me. We want the glory without the sacrifice. Jesus says that is satanic. Look at what He says next in verse 24. Jesus says to His disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The way to glory is taking Jesus at his word and letting him be king. And that's going to hurt. That's risky. Just seven days ago, five men signed a waiver that risked their lives so they could get a glimpse in person of the Titanic. They were going to descend three and a half kilometers below the ocean surface. They paid significant amounts of money because they thought it would be worth it. It would be worth the risk to be able to look at that glass pane and see in person this ship that is so deep, that is so special. They thought it was worth the cost. It was worth the risk. Turns out it wasn't. It cost them their lives. That's exactly what Jesus says to us and to his disciples in verse 26. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Imagine for the moment that, that you are offered all the pleasures you've ever fantasized about. Every good experience, every possession, every sexual desire met, your dream job, the ultimate overseas experience, the best house, the best spouse, the best family, the best experiences of life, the comfort, the joy, perfect health, even a glimpse of the Titanic that was offered to you. Imagine all of that could be on offer. But yet you had to forfeit your soul for eternity to get it. Would you risk it? 
if you know who Jesus is and you've seen that he's the king of the universe and you've heard what he has offered, all those things that suck us in in life and make us go, oh, here is what I want, they pale into insignificance with the rising of the sun. Have you ever been up at night and seen the, the night sky filled full of stars? It's so, such an awesome experience. You're like, wow, look at all that. And it's so amazing. You just wish you could reach up and touch the stars. But at dawn, the sun rises and the stars disappear. It's not that they get dimmer. It's just that we see the brightness of the sun. And as it dawns, we're like, whoa, look at that. So often we're living our life in the darkness of night and we reach out to the good things that God has given us but we miss the rising of the sun and we miss that we are living for another dawn, a dawn of life that lasts forever. Verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father and then He will reward each according to what He's done. Jesus is coming back after His death in the glory and brightness and brilliance of His Father, to rule the earth forever, to put away evil and death and sin and rebellion. And He's inviting us to be part of that. And not only is that end amazing, not only is that last day in view, but life here now, although hard, is also so much better. Look at verse 28. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What He's saying is that some of you who are alive here are going to experience this. What does it mean that the Son of Man is going to come in His kingdom? Well, when Jesus rises from the dead and He's victorious over sin and death, people will be able to stand and see, I've seen the dawning of the sun. I've seen Jesus' death. He hasn't yet come back um, after His resurrection, but I've seen Him rise and there's an expectation that life now, trusting in that reality, is good, although hard. If you've seen who Jesus is, the one who's died in your place, that He's risen again, He's brought in that age of judgment and He's coming back again, then life lived, trusting Him now, is the best life you could ever have. Don't settle for the twinkles of star at night when the sun is dawning and His brightness has come. What Jesus is saying is, seeing Him correctly means serving Him completely. Seeing Him correctly means serving Him completely, recognizing that He is the King to serve. He is the one I'll live for. And if you live with Him as your King, and you put the Father's will and word first, then that life is going to be hard. Because we're living in a world that's going another direction. The current of this life is saying, live for now, live for the stars have this fully, you only live once life and live it up because life is so important now, but we're going another direction and that hurts. What it's going to look like is a very different life. A life of sacrifice of those things that last but a second. A life of, of giving, of being willing to suffer so that others might recognize who Jesus is and what He's done. A life willing to suffer because we're living a different ways in the world around us that, that puts Jesus as our King, not ourselves. Jesus gives up His life out of love for us. And He calls us to do the same. To give up 
control of our lives and to hand them to Him. If we follow Him, we stand to gain everything in life. We stand to gain great joy now, freedom from our sin and rebellion and death, security with Jesus and for eternity. We know we'll come before the true and living God and He will see Jesus if we trust in Him. And that our sins have been paid for. It is finished, is stamped on every one of our accounts of those who trust in Him. And that will last forever. What Jesus is showing here is what it means to be a disciple of Him. Not just a full-on one, but a follower of Him. The paradox of discipleship is this. You give up life of self-rule now. You gain life of Jesus' rule forever. Jesus here is not just calling us to a life modeled on His life, but a life that is focused on the same thing He is focused on, the King and the Kingdom. The burning center of Jesus' passion is the glory of His Father and the will of His Father, that the desire to see more people saved and to grow as disciples. And He's calling us all to live with that picture in mind. Why, why would you do that? Why would you live your life for that purpose? Well, you could do it because Jesus commands you to do it. He's commanded us to make disciples of all nations because He's the King and we ought to listen to His command. That would be a, a right response. But if you know Jesus, if you've seen who He is, if you've experienced His love and that feeling knowing that you're Sins have been dealt with and you can stand before the true and living God and call Him your dad. Then you find yourself growing with a desire to love what Jesus loves. To have a, a heart and a passion for others to experience His love as well. And your passions and priorities as you look to Him and, and are transformed by who He is and you listen to His Word, well, they get shaped more and more into Jesus' priorities and heart and passion. And so, as we think about who Jesus is to us, as we think about what it means to live for His kingdom, it has a whole heap of implications for what we live for, doesn't it? There's a whole bunch of things that are, that are good things we can spend our time on and our money on. We can spend our, our lives looking at career and, and trying, to, trying to be, be good in the world. We can spend our time thinking through what what things can I hold on to? What experiences can I have? How do I get the best relationship here? We can look at having the best experiences of life and enjoying God's creation and experiencing kind of great concerts or uh, the, the latest technology or His creation and, and see different parts of that. There's great things that we could experience in His world that you might choose to give up because there's a greater goal. That you might choose to go, you know what? I'm going to have eternity to spend exploring that world of God's. Now is the time to see people come and trust Jesus. That you might deny yourself, take up your cross, and say, do you see this King? It might mean deciding to spend less time on your studies, less time on a hobby or a sport, uh, less time kind of giving your kids, if you have kids or have kids in the future, the best education they can have because there's something greater they need to see that you live for the kingdom. When it comes to coming to church each Sunday, it means we'll, we'll come to church not just thinking about 
What am I going to get from it? But how can I encourage others? Because we want to point one another to this reality of who Jesus is. We want to live our lives for His kingdom. We want to be inviting people along. We want to be thinking, how can we fill this auditorium eight times over? Because people need to hear about their King. People want to have the opportunity to live forever with Him and not face the Father with the consequences of their own sin. Friends, there is nothing in this world, not money, not security, a house, a mortgage, a husband, a wife, children, holiday, comfortable retirement, people's approval, economic security, the most amazing experience in life. There is nothing in this world that is worth going to hell for. Seeing Jesus truly means following Him completely. Rather than sit here and go, oh, I'm not sure what this will be like, I'm not sure what the sacrifices are, Jesus calls us tonight to take the risk, to put your life in His hands, to see Him for who He is, based on the evidence that exists. Don't call out for a sign. Don't keep going, oh, I want to see more, I want to see more. He's saying now's the time, and if tonight you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you, come to Him. Come and say to Him, I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry for turning my back on you. I'm sorry for not living with you as my King. Thank you so much for dying for me and offering me life that does not end. Please help me to live with you as my King. That's what you want to say tonight. And if you do trust Jesus tonight, and tonight's the night to be saying, Lord, help me to fix my eyes on what matters. Help me to look to the dawning of the sun to recognize life lived to the full now will be a life of sacrifice. Help me to sacrifice. Help me to live so radically in the world around that people go, what is up with you? You are living so differently. And you say, yeah, because Jesus is coming back. And I want you to see Him. I want you to know Him. And I want to live for Him because He is amazing. Friends, seeing Jesus truly means following Him completely. The question is, Will you do that? Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you've not treated us as we deserve. As we sit here tonight, we we recognize that we have not loved you as we ought. We have not put Jesus at the center of our lives. We've not put you in the center of our lives. So often we want to live our lives our way. We live for the the things that you've given us, rather recognizing, rather than recognizing you as the creator. Lord, we confess that so often we get sidetracked and pulled aside by the things that are here and feel so tangible, but we recognize that Jesus is the promised king. We recognize that he's died in our place, that he's suffered what we deserve. Lord, we ask you would fix our eyes on that reality and trust you completely that we will be a church of people that, that boldly proclaim Jesus' name, that live for another kingdom, that look so different in the world, that people say, why are you doing this? Would you help us, Lord, to live as people who boldly proclaim Jesus? In His name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the great joys of going through God's Word and and reflecting on what He's said, is actually to spend some time reflecting now with one another. 
uh, as Michael said at the start of the service, we're going to spend some time kind of reflecting what God has taught you, maybe, maybe tonight or, or what you've heard throughout this series in Matthew, which are really the closest thing I think that the, that the New Testament holds out as, as what prophecy is, as we're sharing together about what God has been saying to us and how that shaped us. Um, so I'd love for us tonight to be able to share together what you've heard God say to you through His Word and by His Spirit throughout this series and how He's been changing you so you can encourage one another so we can keep serving Him and keep putting Him front and center. So what I'd love you to do is um, just raise your hand. And Michael and Jaron have got microphones. They'll be looking at you to go, hey, who, who's going to do this? So raise your hand. We'll give you a mic. Don't wait for the next person. Then put your hand up. Make sure everyone's got a mic. Maybe just stand up, tell us your name, and then uh, share from there, and we can go from that. So love someone. Who's going to be first? Jaron, left. There's a competition tonight. <laughs> Bets on which side will say more. Hello. I'm James. Hello. Yeah. Um, um, over the last weeks in Matthew, there has been lots about Jesus, and that's been good. But I have more noticed how readily we, mankind, um, is seen in the disciples and the Pharisees and people... Uh, turn away from Jesus, and um, the fact that God comes and gives us everything despite that is very beautiful. Yeah, thanks. The fact that we turn away, yet God still loves us. So right in the back, thanks. Hey church, my name's Liz, and I think I've been really encouraged by seeing Jesus, his compassion on the crowds, but also the fact that he is worthy of all the praise, and that's right. Awesome, thanks. Um, hi church, I'm Beth. Um, I think it's been really wonderful to see how patient Jesus is with us, but yet how straight he is about how um, important and how crucial these matters of salvation are. Um, mm. And he's not afraid to shy away, which I think is really important to take into life for me as well. Mm. Thanks Beth. Yeah. Yep. Hey guys, I'm Henry. Um, yeah, over the series, I think I've been really... Just throughout the Matthew narrative, you see Jesus as man, but also through his miracles and acts, you see him as God, and just how that play out has been mind-blowing for me, I think. Um, just, just take the miracle it was a, where he's um, feed the crowds, for example. It's, it's, it's because he has compassion, um, and he can do a miracle. So I think... Yeah, I guess I'm trying to say that my mind has been born again of just like, how does that, how does that work? How does a man, God, and I guess it's a good purpose for the <laughs> conference. So I'm excited to learn, learn more about him. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Awesome. Yeah. So much to learn from the book of Matthew, but uh, throughout the series that we have in the book of Matthew, there's the specific verses pressing on me. It's on Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, and it says... Um, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and its burden is light. Yeah, just coming to Christ for, who I, for all that I am and all that I have. And seeing what I have and what I am is like weakness. And even the strength that I have is still valuable. But this verse is really encouraging that 
yeah, I can still come to God. If I'm wounded, I can come to God. If we are feeling like in pain, in joy, in sorrow, we just come to God because He will give us rest. And it's not that condemnation, but it's rest. It's, it's not embarrassment, but it's rest. And sometimes uh, we, uh, personally, I find it hard to come to God, especially when I did something wrong. But still, this verse says to us that, yeah, just come to me and I will give you rest. And, 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 and seeing this verse is just really encouraging as well that um, God is still glorified even though that we are resting. Especially we are re if we are resting for who he is and what he has done and not falling into the gospel of works. Thanks so much, Nicole. Yeah. Hey guys, I'm Jacob. Um, oh, that's loud. At the back. Um, <laughs> well, it's the, kind of the title of the thing, Kingdom Come, but I've really loved how going through Matthew, we've seen God's kingdom in Jesus' miracles and his parables. Um, I just think the more we think about God's kingdom that is to come and like the eternal life we have, it just shapes the way that we think and the way that we live in a great way, which has just been awesome for, um, I think, my joy and uh, my life, yeah. Thanks. Yep, just here. Um, hello. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, I thought it was really cool that Jesus fulfilled um, God's promises in the Old Testament because it tells us that... Um, that we can trust in God's promises for us today and that God is a promise-keeping God. I'm really encouraged by that. Thank you. Kalma family punching twice in a row. Look at that. Yep, there's the next one. Yep. This side's got a double. First time I've done this. I'm Chris, and the part that I found interesting was about I've been interested in God's judgment at the moment and... You know, the part where it says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, or losing their life because of me will find it. And also the part about being about gaining the whole world but losing your soul, because, you know, you hear about musicians and famous people who have, they claim, have claimed to have done that. So mm. I used to read about that, and I've brought back some memories of, Stories I used to see, like musicians who gave up, gave up their soul for success in that, and also how that with judgment, with the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and reward each one according to what he has done, and that that how God will judge, God will judge all of us when we in the end of our lives, whether we know him or not. So I found that quite interesting. It's what I've been thinking about at the moment. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Chris. You. Yeah, super helpful to think through that reality of what matters um, and the reality of God's judgment uh, coming. Yep. This side. Come on, don't let Jaron down. Oh, it's going to be fun. Oh, hello. Hello. Um, my name's Kara. Um, something that's pretty similar to what James said, I think, um, through the, the book of Matthew, even this year and last year, I am continually reminded that... Um, of my selfishness in putting God like into a little box and making him human size rather than mm -hmm. accepting him for who he is. Um, so it's really nice, I think, to be reminded of God's like greatness and that like actually like we can depend on him in all things. Um, yeah, like, yeah, that's been something that's been really encouraging. Thanks, Kara. Yep. Hi, everyone. My name is Austin 
I think uh, the thing that stood out to me, similar to what we heard today, uh, was the parable of uh, Jesus talking about how the kingdom is like someone who's, who's found a great pearl and sold everything he had and bought the field. And I think I was just really struck by how uh, that, is, that is how amazing Jesus is, that we would give up so much just to continue to serve and follow him. And there have been, as I've reflected on my life, there have been so many instances where those choices came. Uh, and in the end, even though in the moment it's hard, it was still worth it. Um, yeah, just been encouraged, I think, by God's word to keep making those choices to count the cost. Thanks. And maybe one more from this Hi. side. I'm oh, yeah. Kristen. And yeah, I think before coming in, I'm like, oh, it's the gospel again. I know this story. I've heard it many, many times. And I was telling my friend, like, oh, I know this one. But then, like, coming slowly into this series actually makes me like, hey, there's so much that I don't know about Jesus. Mm. I forget that he was so compassionate. And I think one of the sermon really hits me was like, I can come to him in prayer because he's powerful and compassionate at the same time. He's not, like, so high up there that he wouldn't fear me. And he actually cares for me. So that actually shocks me a lot. Thanks so much. I want to encourage you all to keep chatting after church tonight, to keep reflecting on what you've heard God say as you encourage one another, as you think through, hey, don't just chat about whatever's going on or how bad the blues are going or anything like that, but actually get to talk about, yeah, what you've been impacted by. Why don't we come before our God now and just thank Him, thank Him for His Word and what He said to us all. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come together tonight, we are so thankful for the way you've been working throughout this series in all of our lives. We ask you to keep pointing us to your Son. You keep deepening us in our understanding of who He is. You help us to recognize Jesus' compassion and love. And at the same time that his, his burden is light and His yoke is easy. And the great joy it is to, to give our lives to serve you. Lord, would you keep captivating us by Jesus. Seeing how great and important He is. So that we might live lives for your glory. Sold out for you. Radically living for you in your world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to celebrate together tonight by taking the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is a great reminder of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And as we do that, if, if you do trust Jesus, or maybe for the first time, if tonight you've prayed that, yeah, I want in, why don't you take the, the bread and the grape juice as, as it gets passed around? And, and what we're really going to do is reflect on what He's done for us, that Jesus' death has brought us forgiveness, that His life is giving us life that lasts forever. So why don't you stand and sing as we celebrate together the reality of what Jesus has done, and then we'll come back together and eat and drink in a moment.
stand here washed white as snow, not because of anything we've done, but totally because of the body and blood of Jesus. We ask that these symbols of Jesus' body and blood would send us out and remind us how much we need Him and what a great joy it is to be saved from by Him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you who trust in Jesus, take and eat this, remembering Jesus' body was broken for you and be so, so thankful. As we look forward to Jesus coming back and the reminder that He is coming back, having faced God's wrath for us, having His blood poured out for us, He says to drink of this, remembering He's coming back so it might help us to live for Him. Let's drink. Let's pray again, yeah? Lord, thank You again for the joy it is to know You, to know Your forgiveness to know the privilege of living for you in every area of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and living for you. We are so thankful for the promise of eternal life and relationship with you now. And so we ask that we go away from tonight, having been fed by your word and these symbols of the reality of what you've done for us, that we might live boldly and truly for Jesus' glory. In his name we pray. of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is 
pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the grace that you poured out when you gave us your Son. And in light of the glorious grace of Jesus, we, we, the cares of the world, Lord, they grow strangely dim, Lord. We are drawn to your Son and the love he's poured out for us, the life that he's given up for us. And now he's calling us to follow him, to pick up the cross. And we pray, Lord, we say, yes, we long to, but sometimes we feel weak. So we pray that the same grace that you've saved us with, we pray that you, that grace may sustain us, that you will sustain us in this race until we can say with Paul that we have fought the good fight and we have finished the race. We have kept the faith. Lord, help us. Help us. Faith is weak, but Lord, we believe. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please take a seat, everyone. <clears throat> well, as Rowan was preaching about um, Jesus asking the disciples, uh, who do you say that I am? I was struck just, I've never read that verse as thinking Jesus almost coming out of, breaking out of the fourth wall, you know, the, the whole idea of coming out of the pages of the scripture and going, grabbing me and going, who do you say that I am? So I was like, yeah, who do I say Jesus is? And I wonder, today, have you seen Jesus in a new light? Have you, uh, through the course of um, Matthew, seen Jesus in a new light? And it's great to hear so many stories of people who, um, yeah, appreciated um, how God has impacted them through the book of Matthew. Love to hear more of your uh, reflections and thoughts and how God's been encouraging you. And the way we want to uh, hear that and connect with you is through our Connect Cards. So uh, you, you'll have a physical Connect Card in your outlines, or if you want to head over to aucklandev.co.nz forward slash connect, uh, you can save some trees and, yeah, fill out a Connect Card there. Uh, let us know, yeah, how God's been wor at work in your life. Uh, maybe you're an internal processor, you didn't get a chance to take up the mic, but let us know. We'd love to read these Connect Cards. We'd love to keep praying for you as well. So let us know if there are other things that we can keep praying for you. love to support you in that. I'll give you a couple minutes, uh, one minute on this, and I'll come back.
friends, thanks for filling out those Connect cards. Um, the plan now is to head on out to Barilla Dumplings. It's quite a popular spot to keep encouraging each other in the Word, keep building up one another and bonding together and fellowshipping. So um, love to encourage you to head on out there together. Um, grab a, if you're not in car, find someone you can ride with. Um, yeah, I want to uh, leave us on this beautiful line that Jesus said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will find, because of me will find it. Following Jesus is worth it. So let's keep encouraging to keep on following Jesus. See you next week.